1: And welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA could do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting.
0: Okay. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism?
1: Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road. That usually ends in one of three places prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognize it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism Is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After picking up the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is: one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our
0: guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, My name is Anna and I'm an alcoholic.
1: Hi, Anna. Welcome to the show. Um,
0: Let's talk a little
1: bit more about you. Would you like to tell us how old
0: or approximately how old you are? Sure. I am 54. Um, Yeah. And how long have you been sober? I'm um, in my sixth year. I'll be seven in March next year. Wow, mm. that's amazing! And uh, do you work?
1: What what? I what's do your occupation. I
0: do. I am a public servant. Mm-hmm. I work for the government. Wonderful. Um, and I've never lost a job through my alcoholism, mm. thankfully. Mm. Um, but I was, I was close when I was younger. Right. I changed. I've changed jobs a lot which <laughs> is a little bit like doing a geographical for me so or moving house <laughs> yeah yeah and and so uh, family yeah I've got um, a 23 year old and a 17 year old and I parent on my own um, I, yeah I, I, I'm the only adult in our family mm-hmm. yeah
1: and um, let's talk a little bit about your childhood and what it was like
0: growing up sure. Um, so I had about nine primary schools. Mm. So my father is a quite a high-functioning alcoholic um, and really ambitious. Um, and so he was always seeking a better life. He, Him and my mother both grew up in, in real poverty. Um, and they both had parents who were alcoholics. So for my dad, it was really important for him to achieve financially. Mm. Uh, so we've, we moved around a lot mm. and he always did get better jobs, but it was pretty chaotic upbringing. Sure, sure. Um, and there was lots of um, arguments in our family. There was no violence towards my mother, but my father was really violent towards me mm. because I was mouthy. Right. Yep. Yeah. I was a smart ass.
1: <laughs> and um, so let's talk about that and let's move into when did you start drinking and
0: what was it like? I had my first drink. I went to stay with a cousin in Invercargill and we went to a friend of theirs And they offered me a glass of wine. I'd actually always been allowed to have a shandy Mm -hmm. growing up, but I didn't really, that didn't really affect me. I didn't Mm. feel the effects of alcohol. Mm. But I would have been about 14 and I had this glass of wine and I can still remember where I was sitting, sitting on one of those old squeaky poofs, you know, (laughs) the vinyl ones. And I felt like it was magic. I just felt so good. Yeah. And then, and you know, when I got into my teenage years, the party scene was pretty important to me. and
1: um, you know we, we've sort of talked about this being a rite of passage, but you know what what was the drinking uh, your drinking like? was it you know
0: did you drink socially or were you a binge drinker? Um I never ever drank socially. No. um I always drank more than my peers. Mm-hmm. I got drunk really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to. Sure. Um, yeah, and I I couldn't wait for the next time where I yeah. could drink. It was a real obsession right from the get-go. And I'd been quite a good scholar until then, um, and then I just became quite average. Right. I passed everything and went through school okay, but um, it really impacted on my life immediately.
1: And so you know there's an immediate consequence that we can see
0: there. What did that do to your mental state and your emotional oh, state? I was really depressed, yep. really flat. I made really poor decisions. Mm. I um became sexual, really young mm-hmm. um, yeah i'm it was quite a chaotic time from memory. Yeah. And,
1: and, and as you moved into adulthood, um, you know, how did the drinking either progress, change, um, or, or, you know, sometimes we talk about, you know, drinking alone or daily drinking. Is that something you can...
0: Ex- yeah, that wasn't my experience. Okay. I got married really young. Mm-hmm. I married my childhood sweetheart, and he was a really big pot smoker mm-hmm. um, and a really heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be loath to say he was an alcoholic because it's not up to me to decide, but he mm. certainly drank like I did. In fact, he drank heavier than I did. Mm. Um, and so I felt really comfortable in his world. Mm. He was older than me, so it was a real escape from my mm. family life. Uh, and I felt like I'd won the lottery because I, I was able to buy a house really young and I had security, mm. or so I thought, Mm. Um but we were pretty dysfunctional. we never we were together twelve years and we never ever had an argument. We never had a crossword because I'm such a peacemaker mm. um, and and, yeah. and um you know
1: whilst there was no um arguments or or anything like that, you know again, let's what was your mental and your emotional state like?
0: Um, I was really depressed. I was, um, at one point, we're going to have shock therapy. Um, So I was on quite a high dose of lithium. Um, But I didn't stop drinking, so none of the medication worked. (laughs) Um, And I carried on, often having two or three jobs, Mm -hmm. because for me, getting the mortgage paid off was really important Mm. for security. Mm. Um, And my first husband was not really a worker, so I became the worker and the caregiver, and uh-huh. desperate to have a baby because mm. then I could look after something else. Mm. Not not looking after myself at all. Um, yeah, we really stayed really close to my sister and my family. Like we have, we've always had a lot of connection. Um, And I started therapy, so Mm -hmm. I slowly started to understand that my mind wasn't right. Right. But I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know that the the key factor was alcohol. So let's talk about then, what was
1: it um, that we often describe as your rock bottom?
0: Um, So my rock bottom didn't happen. Actually, I had a couple of rock bottoms, to be honest. The first rock bottom I had was when I discovered that my first husband had been unfaithful to me the whole time we were together. Mm. Um, and I was in Australia with a friend and came home and just all of a sudden it was one of those spiritual moments. I got I saw my bags going around the carousel and I couldn't physically pick them up wow. because I knew the truth of what my life was mm-hmm. and that it was all bullshit mm. and it was all a facade. Mm. And I packed my case up, I went out, and my husband and my mum were there, and I just said to him, "Oh, you don't actually love me, do you?" Wow. And he said, "No, I don't." And that was the end of it. so we we parted the next day, and I felt like I was so heartbroken because my whole world came crumbling down. Um, but I drank my way through that. Mm. And then I met my second husband six weeks later. And then six weeks after that, I was pregnant with my son. Wow. So I never dealt with any of my own behavior. Mm, mm. Just moved into another dependent relationship. Mm. And um, and so I guess, what was it that,
1: you know, you know, how did you find your way into AA or mm. into recovery?
0: Um, so... I was managing a community hub and I met um, a guy who um, who t- openly talked about being an AA, mm. and we had a really nice connection. Um, he's my friend, and he he was he w- often talked about his behaviour, and we'd. We'd have such fun talking about it. It seems so funny. (laughs) Um, And he held the AA stuff really lightly and Mm. seemed to really enjoy it. And he talked about how it had saved his life. Um, And I'd known him so that I met him when I was about 38. Mm -hmm. And then – then, and so I stopped drinking when I was 40. I stopped drinking on my 40th birthday. I had a three-day party. It was super fun. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really, really good fun. Um, and then I woke up one morning, and I'd often tried to stop drinking, mm. and I thought, I just I don't want to feel like this. My kids are little, and I want to be with them. Mm. I was yeah, finding them really irritating, which really mm. made me quite uncomfortable. Uh, I didn't want to feel like that about my beautiful kids. So I stopped drinking, but, oh, my God, I did it hard. I really white-knuckled it, and I was so anxious. For the first year, I was just so anxious. So I didn't go into AA. I was going to say, there was no meetings. There was no AA. There was nothing. Nothing. So I was sober for seven years on my own, and I was really dry drunk. I was irritable. Mm -hmm. Um, I was flat. It just felt like those years are all just a big mm. fog. They were awful. It was awful. Um, and then one day I was going to meet my friend at work. Him and I shared some work together. And I just wrote, we were in a meeting, and I wrote on a little piece of paper, I think I'm going to go to AA. I don't know. Again, that was, uh, my, well, prior to that, my rock bottom had been on gone on holiday with my husband and my two kids. And... The bed we were sleeping in was like bricks. It was so hard, and I just was—I was just so fucked off. I just wanted to (laughs) set fire to the bed, and I thought, "Oh, this is not who I am." Like, really, Anna? What is going on with you? Um, I just thought, "Is this who I want to be?" And I—that was a real—and I wanted to die. I wanted to kill myself. Um, and I wanted to get cancer because I thought that that way um, I wouldn't, my kids wouldn't know I'd killed myself. Mm. And they're worth so much more than that. And so am I. Mm. Um, and so that, then I wrote the note to my mate and he just, he had such a big reaction. I was so surprised. I'm <laughs> like, why are you like that? Like, really? It's just, I might just go to AA. And he took me into a little room and he said, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. And he was like, well, let's go. I said, I'll go to a meeting in two weeks' time. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I didn't go to a meeting in two weeks' time. I went to a meeting a night after that. And when I went to the meeting, I wore it was winter, and I wore every piece of clothing I owned. (laughs) I had like two pairs of socks on. I had tights under trousers. I had a jersey, a sweatshirt, a jacket, a hat, a scarf. I couldn't cover myself up enough. I was felt so vulnerable i've never felt so vulnerable in all my life, and what were the people like? They were cool they <laughs> were they were they were like me they were i just everything I heard was i thought, oh my God, you are my people mm. I belong here and I went to a really hard ass meeting mm. like it wasn't soft and fluffy, it was real, mm-hmm. real hard stories, like really, really good, yeah, and,
1: and so After that first meeting, you know, what are some of the things you've done to ensure your sobriety?
0: Yeah, I got a sponsor really quickly. Mm -hmm. So my mate um, knew a woman and her and I share the same work. Mm -hmm. Um, We've both worked in social services. And so there was a lot of connection Mm -hmm. um, and I was terrified of her. But um, she's ended up being one of my dearest, closest friends. So I got a sponsor. I started doing the steps. um, And I went to meetings. I didn't want to. I really didn't want to. But I knew I had to. Yeah. And I was in a fog for a long time. But I went to meetings. I started the steps. And I got a sponsor.
1: And you know during times um how do you you know how do
0: you cope with difficulties what are some of the things you do um I I talk to my sponsor yep um I talk to other people in mm. AA um I talk to God mm. um I've developed a much closer relationship with my higher power mm. I probably don't think of it as God as Jesus in a robe and a beard and all that shit I think of it more like you know it's out there it's protecting me and it's looking after me and it's big bigger mm. than me and bigger than and I can give so much away to that space and, yeah. that's, and
1: that's exactly that we talk about you know in AA that it's a spiritual program yeah. not a religious program Yeah. and so you know how has your recovery changed over the years
0: um, well I've got more peace than I've ever had mm-hmm. um, I've ended relationships that were unhealthy and mm. um, I've, I love my garden. I love reading. I love my home. I love being with my kids. And I even love being with my crazy ass family. <laughs> I just have much, so much more acceptance yep. that actually this is a disease and it's not anyone's fault. And there's no place for blame. And I can give so much away. I don't have the resentments that I used to have. I have hope. Um, I. Particularly now I'm doing my 12th step. It's taken me a long time to do the steps, but I've done them really thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm doing that 12th step. I, I know when I move away from peace, I move away from it really quickly. Mm. But I know how to get back there mm. and I know what to do. And I do it even if I don't want mm. to. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Anna, what would you... Uh, recommend or suggest for any listeners who think they might have a drinking problem, what could they ask themselves
0: to help them decide? Um, I would ask myself, is this how I want to feel daily? Mm. Um, And remember a time where you didn't feel like that, Mm. where you felt good Mm. and that that is really possible Mm. and it's possible for the rest of your life Mm. and that a good day drinking will never beat a bad day in sobriety, Mm. ever. Wonderful. Yeah.
1: Well, Anna, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. You're welcome. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800-AA-WORKS. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, If you want to drink, that's your business. But if you do want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.